morning. It's good to be here. Uh, my name is Craig, as Pastor Jay said, and um, my wife is uh, home with our little one. And from all of us, thank you for having us out and uh, greetings. Greetings from North Carolina. Um, if you would open your uh, text of this word this morning to Luke chapter 9, verses 37 through 45. Um, that'll be our text this morning. Um, Luke 9, 37 through 45. Before we read the text, I want to say a few words. Uh, safety. The health and safety of our family is something we hold very dear to our hearts. Our brother and sisters that have gone to the mission field often anguished over the health of their families. The first missionary from the U.S., Adoniram Judson, was an example for us in many ways. This morning, I want us to begin by considering a sad chapter in his life, the loss of his wife, Anne. In his excellent biography of Judson, Vance Christie relates the passing of Anne. He writes, From the Burmese Christians living in Amherst, Judson Judson learned a few more details about the closing days of Anne's life. You see, Judson was a part. He was away on ministry. He wasn't there. She had sometimes stated to the indigenous believers, the teacher, which is Judson, is long in coming, and the new missionaries are long in coming. I must die alone and leave my little one, but as it is the will of God, I acquiesce in his will. I am not afraid of death, but I am afraid I shall not be able to bear these pains. Tell the teacher that the disease was more violent and I could not write. Tell him how I suffered and died. Tell him all that you see. And take care of the house and the things until he returns. After her death, writing to his sister, Judson expressed his heart on the loss of his wife. We will not then, he writes, mourn as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 Yet notwithstanding the consolation of the gospel, grief claims its right and tears their course, and I must subscribe myself, your brother, in the deepest sorrow. He signed the letter, Adonira Judson. One would be hard-pressed to find a better example of both grief and trust in who Jesus is expressed in words. Judson's words capture, capture the dual realities of our world. Our fear and grief at the loss of family and our hope in the future resurrection of the dead in Christ. Our passage this morning has both these realities in play. A father's fear for his son, and Jesus is urging full trust in him. For he can alone be for he alone puts our world aright. Please turn with me to Luke nine verses thirty seven through forty five. On the next day when they had come down from the mountain, A great crowd met him, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. 
And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they were not perce- they might not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. This is our text. Jesus is warning us against partial belief in who he is. This is our thesis for this morning. This is what the text is arguing. Our passage does this by setting two aspects of Jesus' character side by side. The first aspect is that Jesus has authority to heal. The second that aspect is that Jesus is the Son of Man. So when the, we say the first aspect is that Jesus has authority to heal, how do we, where does this come from? Well, it comes from the text. We, we have, uh, if we had time to read Luke's account of Jesus' life to this point, we would have read of Jesus doing miracles such as healing Simon's mother-in-law, cleansing a leper of his disease, healing a paralytic, raising of the widow of Nain's son from the dead, and calming of a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Friends, Jesus is the main character in this story. As Christians, we make the claim that Jesus was, is God's son, he is fully God, and that he came down to earth, was born of a virgin, and that he lived about 33 years on this earth, that the last three years he was in public ministry, teaching and mentoring his disciples. And that is what most of the Gospels, including the Gospel of Luke, give us is those details. This Jesus is who we are going to study this morning. So the idea is that Jesus is doing miracles, and those miracles prove what he's saying. Most, the best place I think to go to prove that is Luke 5.24, where it says, but you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus' actions prove his words to be true. Because Jesus preached against doing wrong things, which the Bible calls sin, humanity rejected him. They rejected the Son of God, and crowned their rejection with killing Jesus. The Apostle Paul tells us that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. 
It is this Jesus that is the main character in the story we are looking at today. Luke, Luke wants us to read our passage this morning while keeping the transfiguration in mind. Grateful for Pastor Jay being willing to read that this morning so we could have it close at hand. He does this by talking about how the disciples and Jesus transitioned to the scene of the father and his son. Luke says they came down the mountain. And then he says that it's the next day. By these two uh, statements, he's closely connecting the transfiguration to what comes next. There is great contrast in Jesus, who had just been transfigured, coming down the mountain to our level of suffering and imperfection. The heavenly realm realized on top of the mountain our depravity and suffering constantly on the earth. Jesus descends to that. Into our world he comes. Every story, including ours this morning, has its scene, has its own characters and setting, just like our own lives. Luke has been talking about Jesus and a small group of disciples, but now we are introduced to the crowd by its size. It is a very large one. Next, we are introduced to a man. He is defined as being from the crowd. He is both a man of the people and a man like all of us with a unique story. This man's story is all about his son. He says to Jesus, he says, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. Defines Jesus as a teacher. This man defines Jesus as a teacher. Teacher in Luke can be a title of respect. Within Luke's gospel, people will use uh, the term teacher to find uh, John the Baptist, who obviously is not Jesus, but is a good man. They will also refer to Jesus as a teacher, but they will be spies sent by the, the leaders to try to trap Jesus. We do the same in our own world. In our own lives, we use titles to define people. This morning, I referred to Pastor Jay. And that establishes a relationship between myself and Pastor Jay as he's being a pastor. And, he, and for you guys, he would be your pastor. But we also have other titles we use, such as firefighter, soldier, sailor, police officer, doctor. We might turn to uh, family roles, such as father or mother, son or daughter, brother or sister, good man or bad man. When we use these titles, we define who we're talking about, either for the, their sake, or for those around us. When we use a title, we frame the person we are speaking of in a way that expresses what we think of that person or how we want other people to think of them or us. Some example of this is he is a good doctor, as we're giving a recommendation for who we think our friend might need to see, or something that is probably a little humorous, is you are such a good police officer while we're on the side of the road with the police officer behind us because we were speeding. We use titles to define people because of who we think they are or for means that we want to achieve. So this morning, how would you describe a man who did miracles and said the things that Jesus did? 
How would you define Jesus? This father is in so many ways just like us. He wants his son healed. This is his only son, a fact that makes what is happening to him and us even more tragic. One would be hard-pressed to write a more emotional story than to write a story about a father whose son is hurting like this one. The man introduces the cause of this pain and sorrow. It is a spirit, he says. We can imagine the intensity with which the man speaks of this terror that afflicts his son. Did his voice tremble that day? Did he look tired from years of care? Was he frantic or composed? What is happening to his son? What is happening? Well, the scripture gives us more information. It says, the spirit would seize him. He would scream suddenly. He is thrown into convulsions. These convulsions are characterized by foaming at the mouth, and this spirit only comes out after mauling him. If even one of these things happened to my daughter, I would be desperate, and so would you. Parenting causes us to look to God for strength. When I was single, I did not anticipate being afraid of things about my child that I now have by God's grace. When your child gets sick and you put them to bed and they're sniffling and they're, they're sick and you close that door and you say, Lord, please keep my child alive until I, they wake up in the morning. And then when you open that door in the morning and they're alive, that is God's faithfulness. But these are challenges that we face as parents as we see our health of our kids come and go and as we have to trust God when we can't solve their problems. We have death and every ailment that leads to it in this earth. Anger and murder, disease and injury. Might add, we have war and conflict. Aging and the loss of children. Because we are lived in a cursed world, all of creation wears the sign of this curse. That curse happened because the first man and woman sinned. They did what was not right in the sight of God. They disobeyed him. And because of this, God cursed the earth. In Genesis 3, where God does the cursing and it's recorded, in verse 19 it states, uh, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Every generation since this first man and woman has been the same. Everyone has died. Decay, the curse on the ground that makes us have to work hard, everything has remained the same till this time. Knowingly or not, this father is asking Jesus to reverse the effects of this curse. The man tells Jesus he asked the disciples to cast out the spirit. The disciples had not been able to cast the spirit out. Earlier, Jesus, in the beginning of Luke chapter 9, had given his disciples the authority to do just this, to cast out demons and to heal people. In Luke uh, 9, 1, it reads, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. 
that they were not able to be cast out this demon makes this confrontation all the more powerful. In this confrontation, in round one, the good guys had lost. But Jesus is coming. Will he be able to reverse the situation? Let us read what happened in the text. Verses 41 through 42. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to hide, or rather to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. An interesting note is Luke has a a tendency to record this intimate detail of, of Jesus returning children whom he's healed to the father. Two other places he does this. A, a woman's, the woman of Nain's son who has died, Jesus raises from the dead and returns him to her. A touching moment just like this one. <clears throat> Several observations must be made from this text. The demon goes nuts when Jesus moves towards him. Note that Luke defines what the boy's father called a spirit as a demon and unclean spirit. This is not a small problem in this boy. Everything that is evil is asserting itself against Jesus in the scene. But note Jesus' response. Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit. He heals the boy of any kind of physical effects that might have been caused by this demon possession, and he gives the boy back to his father. Jesus wins. When a competition quickly ends, whether it's in the arena of sports or it's on the world stage of conflicts between nations, quickly ending of something usually means that one side was greatly outmatched. This, my friends, is our Jesus. Jesus outmatches the enemy. Jesus can heal our earthly pain. This text proves it. He can right the effects of man's sin on the earth. This is clear from the countless miracles Jesus had done, and it is very clear in our story today. Both our broken world and the demons that make it worse are no match for our Jesus. We can rejoice with this father to hold his son made well. We can also, like Adoniram Judson, who, like us, lives in a world where Jesus is now in heaven, set our hope on the day when Jesus will make all things right. Earlier, I read from his, his letter where he quoted 1 Thessalonians 4.14, and I want to read that again for us to remind us of this hope. And it says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Jesus now, or in that coming day, can set all things right. The first aspect is that Jesus can heal. And the second is that Jesus is a son of man. Jesus, as healer, asked for the son to be brought to him in verse 41 so that he could heal him. But that is not all that Jesus said. The first reads, Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. 
Into this emotional season or scene, Jesus declares them to be a faithless and twisted generation. Pause and take in just how blunt this statement is. Some might ask, does Jesus even know what is going on? Have you ever had a friend that said something at the wrong moment in time? Maybe it was somebody who, who confronted a friend about something at a funeral for one of his or her family members. That's not the right time to do something like that. Or bringing up ways you are disappointed with a friend while she is in the hospital. We all probably can recount a story in our life where somebody got it wrong and said the wrong thing at the wrong time, and it was rather blunt. Maybe we've even done it himself. I know I'm capable of that. Um, But Jesus just said to a man worried about his son, you wicked and twisted generation. This is not something we would necessarily advise. But Jesus is more powerful than us. Perhaps his bluntness is driven by his balancing what is happening around him. And what is happening in the hearts of the people. To grasp why Jesus said what he said, we must understand what he said. If Jesus is the Son of Man, he must also be right in what he says. Two verses in chapter 9 give us good reason to take seriously what Jesus has just said. The first, Pastor Jay read for us in the transfiguration scene, is... Uh, verse 35, and a voice came out from the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Prior to that, Jesus himself had spoken and he said in verse 26, forever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angels. We then must listen to what Jesus is saying. The first time Jesus speaks after God the father says, listen to my son, is when he says, you twisted and uh, perverted generation. This is the first time Jesus has spoken. So if we are to take Luke, the author who has ordered these events seriously, we must take with great interest what Jesus has just said. The scene develops when Jesus speaks. Jesus defines the crowd he is rejecting. He responds to the man by re by reintroducing the crowd as an unbelieving and twisted generation. This new title is negative. They are no longer just the large crowd. They are a twisted and unbelieving generation. This title comes from Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, where Moses calls Israel by this title. Moses is speaking to this generation, or to the generation born to those who wander in the wilderness for 40 years. He is speaking to the generation that will not obey God's command to conquer the land. Every generation of Israelites after them, down to that of the day of Jesus, has acted similarly. I want to read from us just a a few verses from, or rather 32.5 from Deuteronomy, just so we can get the context of what Jesus is saying in our own passage. The rock, his work is perfect, speaking of God, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. 
They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are crooked and twisted generation. By using this term, Jesus is using Old Testament terminology for Israel's disobedience. Because of this, it is not just addressing, rather because of this, Jesus is not just addressing the Father. He is addressing a crowd and in a larger context, the nation of Israel. When Jesus said, how long will I be with you? He is counting the days till he no longer must be with them. This is not a good place to be in. Jesus desires to leave these people because of unbelief. This is Jesus' first response to the emotional pleading of the Father. Just because the boy is being afflicted does not mean that this is what Jesus is focused on. Ultimately, Jesus is keying in on their lack of unbelief because they know, or rather, he knows how important this is. This should be even more profound for us who are following along with Luke's gospel, or rather his narrative. Already, Luke has established that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. Missing who Jesus is, not believing he is the Son of God, not believing Jesus had come to reconcile our sin with God, these are the things that Jesus believes are worthy of mentioning first. The question is, do we share the same values of what is important? Do we, like the crowd, think of Jesus as a good teacher who can heal us? Or do we believe he is God and the one sent to reconcile us to God? Jesus is not limited to one of these tensions. He can be the Savior and heal at the same time. This has an important application for us. Jesus can heal men who do not believe. Receiving God's kindness in this life does not mean that you will receive his kindness when the judgment day comes. Just because God is in his sovereignty allows people to be healed in our hospitals and throughout our lives does not mean that they are destined for heaven. You see, belief in God and belief in Jesus as his son, who died on the cross and who was raised on the third day, this is what saves men and brings them to himself, brings them to God and brings them into reconciliation. We as believers must hold the fact that Jesus is able to heal our broken physical world and to save us from our sin in balance. We must not make for us a God who is only one of these. Let me say that again. We must not make for ourselves a God who is only one of these. If we emphasize only his authority over the earth, sickness and death, we miss out on the hope of peace with God through faith in Jesus. Is hope for peace on this earth blinding us to the glories of peace in the world to come? Jesus makes this point again in chapter 10 of Luke when he responds to the disciples who are so excited because they've been able to cast out demons and heal people because he's given them that authority. In Luke 10, 20, he, uh, Jesus speaks and says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subjected to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
You see, the, the command of Jesus, the urging of Jesus, is that we value heaven more than peace on this earth. On the other hand, if we emphasize Jesus' ability to save us, we miss out on his care for us. Jesus has taught us how to pray, to ask of the Father good things here on this earth. Praying for help in our present world does not have to come from a heart of unbelief, but from one of great faith in God's ability to help us along the way. Because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we have a great access to God to come before him. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One's final scene emphasizes the importance of belief in the full character of Jesus. Since it's been a while since we've read this, I want to, our passage, I want to read to us verses 43 through 45 to set the stage for discussing this last scene. The text reads, And all were astonished at the majesty of God, but while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand the saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about the saying. The crowds are marveling. If we were in their shoes, I have no doubt that it would, a healing of a spirit-demon-filled boy would rock our world. It would be on the front of our minds. The explanation for how this happened would be swirling in our heads. How? Why? How did this happen? Who did it? What is happening? And I am no doubt that many of us would marvel as well. But it is these same people who will deliver Jesus to be crucified. And this is Jesus' point. It's just because they see the action of God and they're marveling at it doesn't mean that they are safe people. It doesn't mean that they're going to heaven. You see, recognizing that Jesus is a good teacher, recognizing that Jesus has done many amazing things, does not get us into heaven or have a changed heart so that we want to have Jesus around. Jesus, in, back in uh, verse 22 of nine, chapter 9, reads, uh, spoke and said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on, that th- on the third day. And then he will be raised, or be raised on the third day. One uh, observation of this is that Jesus has referred to himself as a Son of Man. I want to key in on this as we begin to close our message. By doing this, he is asserting that he is quite a bit more than just a healer. He is laying claim to be none other than the Son of Man presented in Daniel seven thirteen through 14 where Daniel writes, I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, who is God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. 
This is the full Jesus. He has all power, a kingdom, and all glory is due him. But note who will serve him. It says all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. There is nothing about any of us that precludes us from coming to Jesus and believing in him. Not our languages, not our skin color, not our nation where we were born, not the nation where we live now. Nothing precludes us from responding to the gospel of Christ. John, the apostle, in Revelation 5, 9 through 10, records the culmination of Daniel's prophecy. And note that all these distinctions are still in place. All the nations, the ethnic groups, the languages are all in a beautiful mosaic worshiping Christ. Nothing is removed. All has been made for the glory and majesty of God. The text reads, and they sang a new song saying, were there you to take the scroll and to open its seal for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. So when Jesus refers himself to, refers to himself as the son of man, he is making claim that he is the one who will be given all these things. Are we focused, like the crowd, on the here and now? On how Jesus or anything else prolongs our life and relieves our suffering? Or are we grounded in the full breadth of who Jesus is? Our passage this morning presents a strong warning against a faith that only operates in the here and now that only wants from God what solves current problems. Problems Jesus is capable of solving. Prayer for deliverance and trials is not off the table because of these verses. Rather, it is invigorated when we realize the full extent of who Jesus is. So how do we apply these verses, this passage, to our lives? Well, there's some questions that we can ask to run diagnostics on a heart. Where are you this morning? We're all, we're all in this room, but where are you this morning in relationship to Jesus? Where am I? Is the full character of Jesus beautiful to you? Can your heart say with a hymn writer, beautiful Savior, Lord of all nations, Son of God and Son of man, glory and honor, praise, adoration, now and forever be thine. Can your heart worship? Do you long for the whole Jesus? Do we place higher value on one aspect of Jesus than we should? And a third question, do you believe in the full Jesus? Perhaps this morning you are seeking Jesus, you have heard of him. You may be reading the Gospels. You may have a friend that has shared with you about Jesus. And you may be asking the question, who is Jesus? Well, this morning, the scripture, God's word has made claim to two things, two characteristics about Jesus. One, that he can heal people, that he can change our current present reality because he is God and he is sovereign. And two, that Jesus is Savior, that he is God, that placing our faith and trust in the one who died for our sins can save you and present to you a world to come of hope and peace, one that we will never see this side of heaven. 
This is our Jesus. This is the Jesus of the scriptures. And if this morning that's something that you've never responded to, you've never run into the wall of the character of Christ, if you've never broken against that barrier and recognized that you are indeed a sinner, one who has not followed in the footstep that God has asked us to, have not done what he has said that we should, then you can, you can believe in him. You can believe in Jesus who died for your sins, who has put the offer to you this morning that his blood can cover your sins and you can see Jesus face to face someday because you have been reconciled through Jesus' blood. That is an offer that is extended to all of us. As our text is read, there is nothing about any of us that holds us back from responding to that this morning. Adoniram Judson saw Jesus for who he is and received comfort in seasons of great loss. For him who Jesus was solved the problem of safety in this life, like him we can await the day when Jesus will put an end to the effects of sin in our world. No more suffering, no more pain. When that day comes at last, Jesus reigns. This morning, Luke has presented Jesus's warning against partial belief in who he is. The passage has done this by setting two aspects of Jesus's character in contrast. Side by side, we have examined them. That the first was that Jesus has authority to heal, and the second is that Jesus is the Son of Man. The question for us all this morning is, do you believe? Do we believe this morning? That is our question. Thank you. Well, thank you, Craig. Thank you for leading us in our time in God's Word. I know that um, as you listened and wrapped your mind around this text, you, you recognized, I'm sure, that, that we were heading toward one of the key issues in the Gospel of Luke, and that is the identity of Jesus. Who is this? Who is this? Uh, the disciples, as Jesus calmed the storm, asked that. Who is this? Did even the winds and the waves obey him? Who is this? This morning we want to respond in faith, not only in our hearts, but also in receiving communion, which is a reminder to us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, He carried our sins in his body on the cross as he died, rose again from the dead as we celebrated recently in Easter. And so we want to do that this morning. Um, I'm going to say a word about that and how we do that in a moment. But I'd like to pray right here that God would help us as we worship during this time as well. Father, thank you for this text, and thank you for the privilege that we all have of being here present And it's our desire that as we worship in communion now, that we would respond in our hearts with faith, uh, affirming our belief in Christ, our Savior, Redeemer, and King, and giving thanks that you are our sin-bearer, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this. Help us now as we worship in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. As always, we welcome uh, all who know Christ as their Savior to receive communion, uh, remembering the the death of Jesus on the cross for our sins. So come, and let's be served, and let's remember Jesus.
As I read the story of Jesus on his journey to the cross and all the events that took place there, I often wonder about some of the untold details, like even in today's text. Moses and Elijah appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. So I always want to know, what did they say to him? What details did they tell him? Later, Luke 22, we'll read about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane agonizing at that moment as the cross loomed large. And God sent an angel to strengthen him. What did that mean? Did the angel speak? Saying what? What would you say at that moment? How did he strengthen him? Well, Paul would define later what was happening when Jesus died on the cross. Specifically, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That we could become the righteousness of God in him. Our sin on his shoulders. His righteousness given to those who trust him. Imagine, covered by the righteousness of Christ. This little cracker points us to his body broken for us. Wounded, beaten. Let's remember him together. Likewise, as the cracker points us to his body broken for us, the little cup of juice is a reminder to remember his blood shed for us. We've heard songs about that, and we remember today Jesus heading to the cross where his life's blood would be shed for us. Without the shedding of blood, the writer to Hebrews tells us there's no forgiveness of sins. He bore our sin, and we remember him to say, thank you, Jesus, I want to live in light of your sacrifice. So let's remember him together. As we head out to another week, I'd love to have you stand. I'd like to pray for us as we, as we do that. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of coming this morning and worshiping you in our singing, in our praying, in our hearing and responding in faith to your word, and even now in remembering Christ. Father, all of these are life-shaping moments as they orient us again to what is true and right and good, and they give us a perspective that we need, a perspective on heaven and on life as we head out these doors. So would you help us in this week ahead? Help us to do as your voice from heaven said of Jesus, that we would listen to him, that we would listen to him and remember him as our daily a caregiver and wonderful friend, and the Son of Man, Son of God. Help us to live in light of all of this this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.